Hello and welcome back to QC Uncut, the number one rated podcast in the Quad Cities, hosted by me, Sean Leary, giving you unedited, uncensored, uncut conversation with local newsmakers. We try to have a good variety of people, from politicians to artists to entrepreneurs and more. And today we have got one of the more interesting people in the Quad Cities who has been around for quite some time, and I'm sure we'll have a lot of intriguing stories to share with you. It's Terry Tilka. Terry has been the owner of Ribco now for 30 years. Ribco is celebrating its 40th anniversary down here in the district. And if you've lived in the Quad Cities for any amount of time, you have been at Ribco at some point. Whether it's to see a show, just to get a beer, down here in the district for various events, um, you have probably seen Terry, because Terry is here constantly. So... um, Much to his chagrin sometimes. And uh, so... I've known Terry ever since I moved out of the Quad Cities, so we have had some interesting times as well. And today uh, we're watching as Terry is uh, opening the door uh, for various deliveries taking place here at Ribco. We're in the middle of the afternoon um, down here in downtown Rock Island. And, of course, anyone who has owned a bar or restaurant knows that the afternoon, the off hours are the delivery times. So... Uh, Terry, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show. Cool. Thanks. Thanks for asking me. Um, let's get started uh, where it all started. How did you get involved with uh, with Ribco? Uh, you used to own O'Meara's before this, and then you uh, Dan Carmody, I believe, was the owner. Uh, how did this whole thing get started? Um, Dan and Jerry Carmody and their dad started with the Mississippi Valley Brewing Company in Muscatine, uh-huh. so, which is still there. Then they opened up Ribco, and then... I was a few years out of college. I owned O'Mara's Pub in Bettendorf with my brother, and we got invited to a luncheon with some beer guys. We really didn't know anybody being from Indiana. We went, and that's where I met the Carmody Brothers. So we hit it off right off the bat. Um, Started coming over here and sort of hanging out late at night or on my nights off. Mm -hmm. Fell in love with the bar. It was absolutely the coolest bar in the Quad Cities. then several years went by, and Dan and Jerry had sold it to Cheryl and Steve Lane, who were here for a few years. And then one day out of the blue, Dan called me and said, hey, Ribco's for sale. Do you have any interest? And I'm like, uh, I've sort of got my hands full with some other bars. And after about a year of negotiating with Dan and the other owners and other people and bankers and blah, 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 boom, here I am. So 30 years later, we're still here. <laughs> so what was it like those first years uh, when you took over? You know, did you quickly realize that, wow, this is a whole lot more than I expected? Uh, what were some of the things, what some of the challenges that you overcome? And also, what were some of the incredible moments that you had when you first started off here at Ribco? Well, the hardest part was figuring out how I was going to buy this place and who was going to run it because I already had my hands full with other bars that I had owned. Um, I chased Debney Wagner around. She was living in Virginia. I had met her through bars that she managed, um, and I convinced her to move here from Virginia and leave the job she had to oversee and run the place. So her and her husband packed up and moved here, which I couldn't believe, and uh, they helped me get it open. Um, Bartenders, waitresses, people from other bars all came in those first few weeks to help paint, clean the place, and do everything. Um, the mayor of Rock Island actually called me. It was uh, Mark Schwieber at the time and said he was interested in me at looking at Ribco to b- help build his downtown and the musical aspect. 
and I actually talked to him the first time and hung up on him because I basically said on the phone, I'm sorry, I don't know who the mayor of Rock Island is. I'm from Indiana. I've only been out of school a few years. I live in Bettendorf. Who are you? Click. <laughs> so he called back and said, I'll meet you at a restaurant. I had to ask him for directions because I didn't know where it was, somewhere in Rock Island. So he gave me a speech and what he was thinking about doing with the downtown and asked me to help him bring it to life. So the first year or so I was in Ribco, he called me up. He goes, why aren't you doing anything? I said, because nothing in that building works. I said, the furnaces are shot. People came in and said, why'd you take out the carpet? Why'd you do this? I'm like, that wasn't carpet. That was a wooden floor. It was that dirty. So there was a lot of cleaning. There was a lot of bringing the place up to speed. A lot of things were old, unmaintained, replacing air conditioner. It was expensive, and it was a lot of work. So actually, we got up and running, and then um, a couple years later, we were doing the music. I mean, the reason I liked it, because I liked the plaza, and, and virtually Ripco was just that bar that was so outside the box from anything else in the Quad Cities. It was, it was the coolest place in town. Mm-hmm. Um, so many people got their start here, so many bands, musicians, they were doing micro-brewed beers, European, they were doing stuff that nobody even thought of. Yeah, what's the history of this building? Uh, I know it's got a rich history down here in, in, in Rock Island. Uh, how did this whole, the whole building get started, and then how did it become Ripco, and what were some of the things that's been along the way? Well, the, the bar originally was half the size, and the side of the stage, and that was the old, there was an old bar there called the Mardi Gras, mm-hmm. hence the neon that's on the wall, which nobody's ever understood unless they're old enough. It, that was the name of the bar. Uh-huh. And when I started coming in here, the bar was in the other room, the kitchen was in the front, and it was half the size. So it, the Starcrest building, this was sort of the middle in the walkthrough down to the river, even going back farther in time. So what was in, in between, I'm not quite sure. I know the building next door to 2nd Avenue was, was part of the Star Block, and those are all apartments up there, which I was told by some local historians that John, that was John Looney's building. He threw dynamite in there and burned off the top two floors. That's what I had heard, too. That's what I was waiting for you to tell the Looney story. And when we got into it, we found it, and the, the rafters were burned. We found pink elephants painted on the walls. It was a gam- We found gambling stuff in the basement. It... We've heard so many stories. We found parts of a stage in the back with the lights still up in the ceiling, it, and it had been added on to a few times. So it was quite the uh, hangout in its day. And so I had met some fellas even 20-some years ago that were in their late 80s that said this was quite the strip in its day, just like downtown Davenport was, with the gambling, the prostitution, everything. It was just it was wild. So that's what I've been told. So, But I do know going back... Looney on that, and then um, some of his uh, his house here. I didn't know a lot of it until I met um, um, oh, what's his name? Who wrote Road to Perdition? Max Hunks. Max started playing in a band here. That's how I met him originally. Yeah, cruising. Yeah, and so he played here, and then he played it with other bands, and that's how I met him. And then when he did the whole book and the whole story, I, I just couldn't believe it. So then I really got into the whole history of it. I met some local. Uh, people that followed it that brought me up to speed on a lot of it because I wasn't born and raised here so it, it was phenomenally interesting which most people don't even get it even when we opened the bar next door we we're going to call it loonies and everyone said don't do it nobody's going to get the whole John Looney thing just like in the movie so they changed the name so mm-hmm. that's why we came up at the last second with the name Second Avenue because we were on Second Avenue it was just easier mm-hmm. so um but that was originally supposed to be the stage. We we're going to move the stage over there to make the bar bigger. But once we started tearing into the walls after we bought it, there's no steel. So the whole, all the buildings would have collapsed. 
So we sat empty with it for a long time. And then um, Brent and Lalleman, who owned Lolly's at the time, um, used to walk down all the time screaming at me, what are you going to do with that? And I finally said one night, if you don't stop it, Brent, I'm going to open up a dance club and steal 20% of your business. <laughs> and Brent and I became the best of friends. And Brent passed away a few years ago. I really miss him a lot. But he was just a riot. And that's what we did. And we didn't really know what we were going to do with it. But that's how it sort of evolved. And it still is. I remember when that first started. I remember because um, I used to hang out here all the time. Uh, no, shot a cannon off. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Anybody? Uh, no. And, 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 uh, uh, Shane would. De- yes. I remember Shane. Uh, Shane Brown, um, good friend of mine. Uh, he, he, you gave him a gig to DJ from the stage here at Ribco, and I remember him like calling me up. He's like, "Dude, you gotta come down. I'm DJ." Terry's let me DJ. He's giving me a chance. Nobody's gonna. Nobody's here. You gotta come down. And like, there's nobody here. And so it's like me and like some of my friends and stuff like that. And we're all hanging out and watching Shane. That was like how the whole thing got started with you opening up to, to you know, having a dance club because you had the room next door. And then you let Shane kind of, you know, well, Shane can take over and be the DJ and stuff like that. And it was. It was kind of like he'd start off. We'd have 80s dance nights, and then he'd do you know more you know new dance mixes and stuff like that. And kind of alternate between just to kind of draw people in. And at first, you're right, you could have shot a cannon off. It was like me sitting at the bar with my Coronas and like a bunch of other people, friends of mine and everything. And that was about it. And then eventually it got to the point where it was, you know, packed. A line at the door. A line at the door. Yeah, that that goes with the history of dance clubs. After they pick up speed, then everybody's got to go check out the new place. So, Mm -hmm. And it did take off. And you know, those poor kids that worked during those first few years of not making any money. Sadly, one of them was my daughter and her just crying, I didn't make any money all night. And I'm like, yeah, you're right, you didn't. Suck it up. <laughs> well, welcome to it. That's why you're going to college. So, yeah, it, it was it was brutal those first couple of years. And like anything, you go through peaks and valleys. And, and it got hot for three or four years, and it died out. And then it got hot again, and it sort of died out. And then it got hot again. It's you know, it's always had a huge early following with college students. Mm-hmm. Um, they like their own world and their own kind of venue so that's why they always take it over and then um they're still there thank god for augustine in this town sometimes because mm-hmm. th- those kids are i've met so many nice kids out of there over the last 30 years and the funniest thing is to see them show up down here 20 25 married with kids and everybody said oh everything's changed it's not the same i'm like no you just grew up right that's right. that's the big difference so right. everyone likes to relive it but nothing's changed that much yeah. it's just the biggest thing that's changed is the basic competition so right right and some of us haven't grown up terry <laughs> getting old is not fun so yeah stay young and enjoy your life because it's the only one you're ever going to get so so let's talk a little bit about ribco you first started out um what was it like trying to book bands in here and what were um, you know some of the things that you learned in terms of you know building up the music reputation that Ribco now enjoys as you know the premier venue in the Quad Cities, and also you know just regionally one of the premier venues. Ribco had a great history because all the bands they booked were virtually from out of town. Mm-hmm. They didn't book any local bands. They didn't. Um, I mean, they were booking ska bands and reggae. They were doing stuff that nobody ever thought of, right. and they were all out of either Chicago or touring acts or coming from all over the country. Country. So the name and reputation was out there. So when I started booking it, I got a lot of heat from a lot of people because, 
oh, it's got to stay a blues bar. I'm like, but it's not a blues bar. It's a little bit of everything. And, and it was. It originally started out as an R&B bar, basically. And as those crowds got older and thinned out, we started going into different directions. Some people loved it. Some people hated it. Some people called me every name in the book. And, and we stuck to the old philosophies of what they did. We stuck to their formats of traveling bands and out-of-town acts. And the, the local band, it doesn't matter how good you are, it's just... They play here one night, and, and you know we have the sound system for them. We pay the sound guy. We have monitors. We have a lot. We have a real stage. And the next night, they're playing at a tavern in the corner on a cement floor, and they're playing there for X amount of dollars, and they come to us, and they want a lot more. And I'm like, but the expenses are a lot higher. There's a cover charge. No one's going to pay to see you when you're playing tomorrow night for free. And that's what a lot of them didn't understand and didn't like. But the minute we did let one play, then they'd run to every bar in town. Say, oh, we played at Ripco, so they would just hire them. So there was a lot of that 30 years ago. And then, so I did the room for 20 years. And then we got to the point where I just couldn't do it anymore because I, I started working with uh, some of the local casinos booking their talent when they all popped up. So then we brought in Jason. So Jason was a huge find for us. He played in bands here. He knew it. Um, you know, the first thing I ever told Jason was, you're going to kick yourself a hundred times for making mistakes, and there's other nights you're going to look around the room and see four or five hundred or a thousand, two thousand people's heads going up and down the crowd, and everything's good, and you're going to feel like the king of the world. So you got to take the good and bad. It, it happens. I mean, you can book a band and lose thousands of dollars and want to go jump off the roof. So there's some of that, and then as time went on, he, the bands go with the personality sort of the, the guy booking the room. Jason's more into rock and old punk and things that I never did. Mm-hmm. So the bookings have changed, but then again, so is the competition. There is no such thing as the Redstone Room. There's no Day Trotter. There are no hundred other venues. When the economy gets good, everybody in town starts booking bands. So the market gets flooded, then you go through a recession, then they all stop doing it. And then it goes back to us again and a handful of other places. So there's a lot of that going on. The Quad Cities with their growth and everything changing now with other venues. Everybody wants to get into it. And, you know, even a lot of the younger guys that come in here are like, if you want to be a promoter, great. You're either going to make a million dollars or lose a million dollars. And that's what gets really hard. It's When it doesn't go right, It's you feel like you just want to climb in a corner and just hide. And it, it's brutal. So we've been through our ups and downs. It's, it, we've had our good years and bad years. And, you know, even with the shows we did on the pause of the first 15 years, we had no competition. I mean, we had no competition. And now we have competition everywhere. All of a sudden, every bar in town's putting bands in their parking lots, strip malls, DJs, you name it, they're doing it. So it's part of the game. It's part of the competition. you got to deal with it. What are some uh, bands that stand out that you booked that were surprise successes? What are some bands that stand out that you booked that were surprise failures? And by failures, I don't mean the band sucked. I just mean like you were stunned that more people didn't show up and vice versa. Boy, that's brutal. Um, I'll never forget in the old days when everyone would mail you a cassette tape (laughs) or the vinyl and you'd have to sit in your office and play them. I remember once I was in the kitchen doing dishes and I put a tape in and I booked a band and I called the guy. I'm like, where are you from? And he said, Carbondale. I said, I love your, I'm a sucker. I love horn bands. Mm-hmm. So I convinced them to come up here and we argued about it. And then that's how I met John Hunter. I didn't know he was the drummer in the band mm-hmm. and it was the Jungle Dogs. Mm-hmm. 
and we booked them and everybody that worked here told me I was nuts and then we had 600 people showed up and I about pulled my hair out working and the band just blew me away um, other bands like that whole joke with the Travoltas mm-hmm. I met those guys in Fort Erie Canada I had a hundred thousand kids a day for seven days at a festival I was working at and I was getting um, Susan Warner out on stage who I didn't know was from Iowa originally she tells everybody she's from Philly and I told her how nice she was, and I couldn't believe it. She goes, well, what do you expect? I'm originally from Iowa. And I started laughing. She goes, what's so funny? I said, I live in Iowa. That's how we became friends. And then the bass player from Bare Naked Ladies had me get his bass out on stage so he'd go play with her as upright. And I walked back, and this kid walked up to me, and he goes, so you're that guy from the States that's always up here working, huh? And all the festivals. I said, uh, yeah. And it was the drummer from the Travoltas. And he goes, I got a side project. We want to come play at your bar. We hear about all these Canadian bands playing in your bar. I'm like, well, that's sort of a joke. I said, you know, like everybody in the States goes to Canada Fish and all the bands in Toronto come down and play at the club. Uh-huh. He goes, I know. He goes, how do I get in there? I said, you're not. <laughs> then he told me about the side project and the Travoltas. And we got in this huge argument on the stage. And I said, dude, I'm really busy. <laughs> I gotta go and he hounded me for three more days and he was there playing with some ska bands and we became friends and had some beers at three and four in the morning and I said I'll make you a deal you come down for the weekend he goes oh but we have to have two nights I'm like oh you're killing me so that's how they ended up here and that was a 16 year run for those guys mm-hmm. and you know that was fun but to walk in and see the guys from REM standing on the stage to know that Black Flag was here to walk in I remember coming the old days before I even owned the, when Belushi and Danny Ackroyd used to be in here all the time mm-hmm. and nobody would ever believe that I'm like you know I sat at the bar and watched a baseball game with Eddie Money one night it's just you never know who's going to walk in this door when you walk in mm-hmm. and it's sort of interesting um a couple summers ago, I walked in the patio. It was pretty busy, and the drummer from OK Go started yelling at me. He he called me. Uh, he used to call me Bernie, <laughs> and I'm like, "Why do you call me that?" He goes, "Well, you look like that guy that did all the scams and the pyramid schemes, Bernie, the guy." Bernie made up. Yes, and he goes, "You look just like him with that gray hair." I'm like, "Fuck off, dude!" I'm like, "Come on," <laughs> but we became friends, and you know, even when Sean was down here, it was so nice because you know I've seen Jude call out walking around the plaza, different musicians and artists and you know it just you just see them and it's right. it's awesome so that's phil dingledine i gotta grab this sorry put it on hold buddy <laughs> phil are you in front or back now we gotta you gotta go pick up something no it's phil dingledine uh, okay fair enough that's that see and that's the thing is it's completely totally uncut we don't i don't edit it i don't edit the show i don't censor the show at all this only proves to people that I do not edit the show at all. Everything that happens is on the show. Everything that happens is included in the show. So I don't. I never cut it. I don't hit pause. I don't hit stop. Hey, Phil, what's up, man? We're, reco- we're recording the show. We're recording the podcast, which I need to get you on. I kept, yeah, I keep on pestering you to... I don't cut it. I don't edit it. It's it. It's completely unedited. Once I hit record, I do not hit stop until we stop. Like I said, people don't believe me when I tell them that, and they're like, "No, no, this this will hopefully prove it to them that no matter what happens, we continue the tape rolling." We're talking about uh, the history of Ribco.
we'll kind of walk around while Terry's tracking a fill. We'll go over some of the memorabilia on the walls and some of the bands that have been here. Incredible number of memories having been at Ribco, having been in the Quad Cities for the last couple decades. Lots of fun times here. So, oh, you're coming over here? Well, we're going to go high because the bartenders and people are coming in, and if we don't go high, this is not Okay, gotcha. So, we are about to move, relocate next door to Second Avenue to finish recording the show. And. Walking past the stage here. Your phone is still over on the bar, by the way. Okay. Sounds good. Okay, so. Where were you, bands? We were talking about different bands. We were talking about different bands and musicians. Um, uh, ones that uh, have surprised you, both positive ways and negative ways um i was talking more first we were talking about expectations and crowd sides what are some stories that you remember in terms of people's behavior good both good and bad among some of the musicians whether or not you want to use names is up to you terry no, we're not going to use names okay but. say okay then just say like somebody describe them they you know you don't have to use any names okay well, to protect the guilty or innocent well there's that whole sex drugs and rock and roll we'll just leave it at that uh-huh. so when, when you're the sober guy and you got anywhere from a hundred to three thousand people here you've got 15 or 18 sober employees working and you got thousands of people screaming and guys in the band are drunk i mean i've wrestled a few out of the door Uh (laughs) you know they start screaming at night you know they don't want to do tax forms they don't understand why they have to do them or they lie about everything and 99 percent of them are all excellent and they're easy to deal with but we've all had our moments so (laughs) so so no stories we're going to leave it at that (laughs) sorry sean (laughs) nothing no okay how about some good stories uh, I can't tell you half of those. So, <laughs> those are for, those are for my memories, and we're not sharing those with anybody. So, I, I've had a blast doing this. It's been a lot of work. It's been a lot of hard work. I have had thousands of different people work here. I bet in the last thirty years, and I have got some friends for life, which is the coolest part. That I still talk to, and we still keep in t- contact. Or kids that walk in and say, hey, my dad said to say hi, he used to work here, or my mom. Mm-hmm. So it's like going through some of the generational things, which is fun. But, you know, it's just, it's a business anymore, and it's not as fun as it used to be. And that's the hardest part. It, it really, I mean, all my kids worked here. Uh, you know, the memories are incredible, but it's not going to last forever. I'm not going to last forever. I sure as hell don't want to. I'm getting too damn old. Yeah, I remember when I hung out here all the time, Chelsea was a bartender. I remember Chelsea. Chelsea's, I went and saw Chelsea Wednesday night. She's out on the road with Blake Shelton. I mean, she's working. She's on, she she didn't fall too far from the tree, but she's a, with a marketing firm out of Chicago, and she markets a vodka company owns it. So she's virtually on a tour bus traveling with them half the time. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's fun, but it's hard to believe. My daughter's that old. She's got a couple of kids, and she actually ended up marrying one of my doormen and everything else. And uh, you know, it's it's been a fun run, but that run's coming to an end too soon. So. 
When do you think you always say? I mean, you've been saying that for years. Oh, I know. You've been saying it for years. Every time I run into you, you're like, for the late last decade. Oh man, I don't know, man. I don't know. If, four months. I haven't had a week. It, it's just getting hard. I'm, mm. Dude, I'm getting old. I mean, I'm too old to be dealing with college kids and lugging gear and helping unload trucks. And I just, you know, and, and it's hard to find help anymore. I mean, this economy's booming. I mean, it's, it's you know, the, the bartenders that you, you would have for 10 or 15 years are sort of gone. Mm-hmm. It's like it's a part-time job for a lot of kids, which is fine, but they come and go so fast. It's, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. So that's what's making it hard. You mentioned before you're like, oh, Eddie Money hanging out at the bar and, uh, you know, the, the John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd coming in and stuff like that. What are some things that you remember from incidences like that where people were, like, hanging out and, and you know, some of the famous people were hanging out here just, like, you know, having a good time? You know, when you'd see somebody in your, like, uh, a band or somebody with the night, I would just tell them, leave them alone. They're not working. Mm-hmm. It's their night off. Don't bother them. Leave them alone. Don't ask for an autograph. They're drinking. They're having a good time. Leave them alone. That's what we always did, and that was sort of our, always our policy. So meeting people was fun. Sometimes they'd introduce themselves. Sometimes they wouldn't. I followed one door out the band one night and screamed at them for the way they treated the waitress. Mm-hmm. And uh, they sent her an apology letter and a check with a tip and a bunch of other stuff. And, you know, it was sort of lousy. Did you die? So anyway, I mean, you go through some of that, but it's just, you know, it's just part of the game. It's part of the job. You just deal with it, and you, you can't take it home with you. I mean, you can't. You lose your mind. Mm. So it, it was fun, but I, I can't give you too many stories. <laughs> I keep crying here, Terry. Who's been yeah. How, how was that? You know, I have a funny Eddie Money story. How was Eddie Money for you? Because I'll, I'll share my Eddie Money story. He, he couldn't have been nicer. He, he was actually here on a radio, a radio promotion with some other artists. And he actually came in the bar and he sat at the bar. And I was watching the baseball game with him. And I said, would you like a beer or anything? He goes, no, I'm going out on the road in a couple of weeks. He goes, I'm just drinking O'Doles. And that's what he drank and sat there and watched the baseball game. He ran up on stage, sang a song, and went back and sat in his chair and watched the game. Mm-hmm. I, and then I ran into him actually booking the casinos. Now, of course, he's not going to remember me, but, I mean, he was just a total gentleman. I mean, the room was packed. You couldn't move, and, you know, it's no different than the guys from Bush last summer outside walking around. The opening bands were all, they were just outside standing on the plot. Nobody bothered them. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of the girls said hi, different things, but you just don't see that very often. You know, there, there's nothing worse than when you come to work and you got a big band here, and the road manager and everybody in the first 20 minutes are just total assholes then you're like oh my god this is gonna be the night from hell but when they're really nice and hey how you doing it's nice to meet you what can i do for you and you get them and look that's what makes the night easy mm-hmm. you know it's that really makes it easy I, I like when the wallflowers played everybody said that i talked to where they played after they said all oh, those guys weren't fun to deal with they said they were total gentlemen when they were here they couldn't have been nicer which i was shocked they, they were very nice um when the bare naked ladies played here, they were here for two days before they even played in the bar every night, hanging out. And nobody even knew who they were. Mm-hmm. They were running around having a blast. They started the second leg of their U.S. tour from here. Yeah, I remember I went to. Um, they played a gig in someone's backyard. I, 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 like, I heard bits and pieces about it, but yeah, I was there. It was like it was me and like a, a dozen people max. And the guy, they were just. The, I think it was just somebody. They just did it. Somebody yeah. knew. And like I got a call, and they're like, "Hey." Uh, 
guys from the Bare Naked Ladies are here. They're going to be playing, <laughs> playing a gig in my backyard. And seriously, we were all sat around. It was like a it was like a barbecue. We were like literally they were barbecuing and we were sitting around drinking beers and the Bare Naked Ladies are just playing on acoustic instruments. It was so cool. Those guys all went to high, they're all from Scarborough. I've known they're those guys really for late 10 years years before they even yeah. broke in the states and nobody knew who they were yeah and then they hit that one hot single which got airplay but we used to close at night and when we'd be closing we'd be playing music and i'll never forget one night dave lavore leaned over and he was here after hours and he was younger and single and he looked he said who are those guys i said well it's the bare naked ladies he goes who that's where he heard them right. uh, i think john horvath was bartending playing their cd it's probably like three thirty quarter to four and then, you know, their careers just took off in the States. But they could sell out a 30,000-seat auditorium in anywhere up north or in overseas before they ever broke in the States. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I had done several shows with them in Canada before. And, I mean, they were just nice guys. They were so easy to deal with. But those guys were all buddies. They all went to the same high school and grew up together. Mm-hmm. So it was sort of cool. They were nice guys. I'd love to get them back, but I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I remember um, you booked the Kings here because I remember I remember writing a column about the Kings switching to Glide. This beat goes on, and how that was the greatest single of all time or something. And I and and they found out about it. This this is at the early, early days of the interwebs, Terry. And somehow they found out about it. And then the guy contact Mr. Zero contacted me and was saying like, "Oh, thanks a lot for writing that." Blah 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 blah. And then we ended up getting him booked here at Ribco. Well, we had bands like that booked, but we've had other bands here that we booked. They were coming here to actually try out like a new album or something like mm-hmm. that. And then all of a sudden they call like a week or two out and say, we can't come. That album just took off and we're not doing this. So, I mean, we, we've talked to agents. Uh, I think Cheryl Crow was booked here like four times. Mm-hmm. And the guy, the agent out of California goes, how do you know who she is? I said, well, she played a relief in uh, Des Moines, but I was in a co-op and they were playing her CD. And I, I asked the, the kid working, it was probably 7, 8 o'clock at night. I said, who is that? And he said, Cheryl Crow. And he goes, you want the CD? I said, what do you mean do I want it? He goes, well, they mail us free ones to try. He goes, she's horrible. So he gave me <laughs> a CD. That's how I got her CD. And then I actually booked her, and every show she canceled, canceled, canceled. Dave Matthews was booked here. His album took off. He canceled. The Smashing Pumpkins were supposed to play here. They canceled. It just it happens. It's just it's part of the business. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, there are a lot of shows I would love to have seen to, to sort of brag about and smile. But yeah, but it happens. It's just part of the business. What are some of the ones that you did get to book or that were here and then they took off um, that you're exceptionally proud of or, or happy with? Oh, I don't even know where to begin. I, 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 I don't know. I'm brain dead on that one. There's so many of them. There's just so many great musicians where they played here with different bands. Like one of the first coolest bands I saw here was the Millions, the first year or two I owned the bar. And, you know, there's this big write up in Rolling Stone magazine about them. I remember when David Gray played here. And, like, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I played here a couple times, didn't he? I mean, he routed through, he played here. Next thing I used to play here on the regular before he became huge. Playing for the Queen of England. I mean, come on. So, uh, you know, you go back to the, even some of the blues great Lonnie Brooks, Coco Taylor, and some of all of them. I mean, it, it's just it's incredible. I mean, everybody always says, "Oh, you should write a book." I'm like, I'm not writing a book. <laughs> there's there's too many stories that need to stay in the closet, and we're going to leave it that way. But you know, it's no different than Jason. Some of the bands he's booked. How do you get a band like Clutch to play a room this size? Mm-hmm. And he had him here a couple of times. Lacero and some of these other bands. I mean, that was all Jason. That wasn't me. I mean. 
a lot of people still ask me, well, you did this. And I said, it's not, I don't book the room anymore. I'm, I'm done. That's all Jason. And they're a little shocked sometimes when we get some of these rooms, some of these bands that play the room, and I'm just like, that's totally him. That's his relationship. And, you know, a good example is like when I hired Jason, I said, your word is only as good as your word with the band. Always try to get a contract to cover your ass. But I don't care if you can write a check for a million dollars. If your word's not good, they'll never play here again, and they'll never come back. That was the only advice I ever gave him. And I've seen him throw stuff across the room when he's had shows that didn't do well. And I've also seen him sit and drink at the end of the bar, smiling and laughing his ass off because the room was packed, and we were all running our butts off, and he was just standing there drinking watching us. So it, it, it's a compliment. It's the greatest feeling in the world. It really is. So, I mean, a lot of it's got to do with him, not me. I, I've become the janitor, the maintenance man, the bar back. I mean, the days of booking it, I'm done. No more. What are some of your favorite bands that you've seen here uh, that you've been, you know, or or a band, what's a band that you didn't even know, and you're like, holy shit, these guys are well, fantastic. When the guys from R.E.M. were doing the baseball project, Jason knew Yeah, 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 I remember that. I did. Yeah. I mean, that was incredible. Um, you know, I'm trying to think. Um, I always had a thing for ska. I always had a thing for, like, like the band Tennis Soul when they play. To me, that's my age group. That's that's my music. I mean, soul, funk, grew up in Gary, Indiana, that area, or Northwest Indiana. I grew up with that, so I loved it. I mean, there's certain bands that play here I don't even come see. I mean, some of the rock bands and punk, it, it's not my thing. So I go to the other bar and work and let Jason deal with it. It's, it's just, you know, it wasn't my thing growing up. So, I mean, everybody's got their favorite music. I mean, that's how you make those choices. <laughs> I'm trying to think of some of the people. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of a blank. I'm just a little brain dead. Sorry. Um, what are um, you, who would you, who did you really 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 want to see here, but you weren't able to book? Dave Matthews. <laughs> I'm a Dave fan. I'm sorry, I admit it. When that when he was booked and I got that CD in the mail, I about fell over. I couldn't believe I could. You remember you and I talked about that? Um, well, on, uh, before Under the Table and Dreaming was out for a while. All my dates before going back to '90 and. Every hold, every band is in there. Yeah. And with their prices and their notes. It, it's um, That was one show I really wanted to see. And he was a bartender. Uh, a friend of mine went to University of Virginia. And he was a like a bar back or something because she knew who he was. And I remember this was like before they like before they broke. Um, that album had been out for about a year, year and a half before. It was a fantastic album, Under the Table and Dreaming. And... They kept then they kept coming through, yep. and they were oh, they kept opening. They opened for Toad the Wet Sprocket. And I want to say Hootie and the Blowfish, and they're like maybe like one or two a Cracker, or something like that. It was like a whole lot of those you know alternative bands that were coming through. And Dave Matthews tended to they kept opening, becoming the opening act for him. And I was like, Jesus, these guys are fantastic. Oh, that first album was incredible. Actually, I think that was the last show at Palmer College in mm-hmm. the gym, and they actually called me and I actually worked that show, and. Um, the promoter was from out of town. He's a friend of Ellis Kells, and, and Ellis is like, this guy's short-staffed. Can you help him? So I ended up hiring a couple girls from the bank to handle all the tickets and the money. I did some of the running for him, the security. I mean, we, we had to go get him eight walkie-talkies and a fax or a copying machine. And then I actually went to the hotel and picked up Dave Matthews, and we drove around, and I handed him a copy of Polestar. I said, you know you're on the cover this week? He, he had no idea. So, I mean, he couldn't have been nicer. And, and Debbie Davis, I think, was the opening band, uh, a female guitar player out of the South who was just incredible. And then, you know, memories like that are just, 
they're cool. I mean, it's just the guy was so nice and so down to earth. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest, coolest thing was the night Jude Cole played here. Mm-hmm. For me, that was like one of the biggest scores of my lifetime because his agent told me several, he's not playing there. I said, well, he's the one that called me. So, And then later on in life, the same thing happened with the band Lifehouse. Mm-hmm. The agent would let him play. And I said, well, Jude's the one that called me and said they're playing here. I said, I don't know what you want to do. You guys got me caught in the middle. But I said, he said they're coming through. He produced them, and they're going to play here. And after about three weeks, we finally worked out a deal. And it was a great show. And the guys couldn't have been nicer, of course. But that show with Jude Cole sold out in like five minutes. And then we added a second show. And then he had so many people chasing him from family members and everything else. And, you know, Start the Car was out. And he had all these world-class musicians traveling with him. You know, I still talk to him. I still see him when he's in and out of town once in a while. And, I mean, just he's just a great guy. I mean, he couldn't have been nicer. He was laid back. And actually, after the shows and everybody got on their tour buses and disappeared, I found him out in the back alley walking around about 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, what are you doing? And he said... I'm just trying to get away from everybody and calm down. I said, okay, everybody's gone. The door's locked. Let's go have a beer. And he goes, okay. And we came in the bar. We sat in the bar for almost two hours before, <laughs> the, before the bus call and he had to take off. So, I mean, that, that was quite a thrill. And, he, and we became really good friends. So it means a lot to me. So those kind of memories are just, they're just priceless in my world. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's funny. My kids always say, you know, Dad, if you ever sell the bar, there's certain pictures we want off the walls that we want to take with us. And uh, my daughter says it the most because she's the oldest. But, you know... It, it, it's just it's just a world not many people live in you know right. it's and, and it's fun especially being in a secondary market so it, it's harder here than a bigger city but uh it's been fun it's, it's been a great ride what are some things that surprised you in in you know, ways good and, and bad in regard to you know to ribco or second avenue Ripco's been fun. The college kids in second, they're a blast because, you know, they're kids and they're fun and you get to be friends with them. And then you get to meet their parents when they graduate, which is even more fun. But the whole Ripco thing for over 30 years for me is just, it, it was always what I wanted to do. I mean, I owned O'Mara's, I owned Pat McGuire's, I owned a bar in Iowa City. You know, we did all of those. That was fun. I still miss O'Mara's the most. Mm-hmm. But this was just nothing. Nobody did this here. And, you know, we had to call and ask a lot of booking agents, people we knew in the industry, for help when we first got started. Um, and then finding sound guys and sound systems and upgrading things and the expenses. It, it's just, it, it was di- every day you walked in the door, it was different. You never knew what to expect. I mean, you've been here, what, an hour? How many people beat on those doors? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah, because I used to hang out here after hours all the time, too. And, like, you know, it would be, oh, yeah. That's right. That's true. We know, that never happened, Terry. The hardest, <laughs> the hardest part is the growth of the district. The hardest part is all the bars that popped up and disappeared and then came back. And then, you know, the whole who's going to recreate the district. And, you know, Kyle at the Daiquiri Factory, he's jumped on some of that. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, you got to help me do this. And I'm like, Kyle, I'm done. I'm not doing this. So we go through some of that and then you know jason who was here for years now he's got wake brewing going so he's i mean there's time i go for a week without seeing him i mean he's still employed here and everything else but everybody's just gotten older and things change and and you just sort of slow down a bit so i mean still 80 90 hours a week it seems like most of the time but you know the behind the scenes the paperwork the the licensing the permits the people's permission the you know, dealing, it, it, that's what makes it hard, and that's sort of taking the fun out of it. 
You've been bitching about this for the last decade oh, yeah. or two. I and I, I just never see you not doing it. You get dragged into politics. You get dragged into all, and you don't want to be a part of it. Uh, I mean, you think about all the aldermen that have been down here. Yes. You know, grandmas, 20-year-old uh, girls, this guy, that. And they, they pull you into this stuff. You know how many people said, oh, they're putting a street back in? I heard right. that for so long. And I was just like... They're not putting a street in. It's you know, it's a misquote. It's not going to happen. They're not, you know, you get dragged into stuff you don't want to get dragged into. You just leave me out of. I, I own a nightclub. I, I'm in the nightclub. I'm not. This isn't a bar. It's not a tavern. You know, you, you hear that from aldermen. You hear it from different people, and you're like, you know, it, it's like you see a group of young guys in here, and sometimes the way they start, I'm like, guys, you're in a nightclub. Act like it. You're you're not in Debbie's Tap on the corner. I'm like. There's a hundred women in here dancing. Why are you all sitting here like a bunch? You know, and I've told that to kids. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you're not going to wrestle in here. We're not in the gym. You know, it's like having the dress code when people walk up and you're like, dude, you're not nightclub. You're not. We have a dress code. You know, it's you, act like it. You know, you want to date? You want to meet a nice woman? Then act like it. You know, but we're not at the gym. You're in shorts and high tops and a tank top. You're not coming in here. We have a dress code. So, you know, trying to explain that to people and the the some of the people that live they just don't get it they they don't want to get it or it's um you know trying to explain that it's a business first i mean i've got a lot of employees and they have to get paid and, and you know trying to explain to college kids well why does this cost this much and why does that cost and i'm like you guys you're from chicago you know what a drink costs just because you're in the quad oh, yeah. cities doesn't mean it's half price you know and you get some of that snottiness uh, you know it's that makes it hard and can ruin your nights. I mean, when you're packed and the crowd's great, I mean, it's awesome. It really is. But, man, when you got idiots, I mean, you just spent $300 getting toilet shanked because some idiot girls flush their sunglasses down them. They don't see those expenses. They don't see those headaches. And that's what gets really frustrating. You want them to have a good time. You're out to have a good time. You're not out here to act like a jack stick. I mean, it's just... Go somewhere else, you know? Everyone's, you know, one of Jason's favorite lines, well, everybody likes sort of a dive to drink. And I'm like, you're right, they do. I do too. Like, when I have a night off, there's certain bars I like to go to because I get left alone. I can talk to the bartender. I can sit with my friends. We can have some beers. It's not, it's always, hey, there's that guy that owns Ribco. I mean, I've been at dinner where I've had people walk up to me eating with my kids and say, hey, you're so-and-so, you're on Rip. I, I got a nephew in a band in, uh, in Bloomington, Illinois. I'm like, dude, I'm having dinner, man. Give me a break. Call the office. Not now. Where they all want to talk about business at 2 and 3 in the morning when they're drunk. I'm like, dude, no one's trying to be rude. It's just this isn't the time or the place. And that's what they don't get. And when you tell them that, then they get offended. I'm like, fuck off, man. I'm like, come on. Give me a break. Or they don't know you've already been here 18 hours, you know. Uh-huh. But that's that makes it hard. I mean, I think the worst job here is working the door. Mm-hmm. The stuff people say to the doorman is just unbelievable. You know, the, what do you mean there's a $5 cover? Who's playing the Stones? I mean, you hear that kind of stuff all the time. Like, dude, nobody twisted your arm to walk up to the If you don't want to come in and see a band, then... Then go somewhere else. I don't, you know, I don't care. The, we we do music. This is what we do. If you know the the worst feeling for me is to see a great band playing and ten people here. Mm-hmm. It it just it it hurt. I hurt for them. You know, it, it's not a paid rehearsal. They're doing a show. And when people don't support the arts, which music is part of the arts, that's hard. That 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 personally hurts me. It just 
man, and, and then you meet all these people, oh, there's nothing to do here. I'm like, what rock do you live under? What do you mean there's nothing to do here? There's a ton to do here. You live in a, in a beautiful marketplace with a beautiful river. You know, the, oh, I don't cross the bridge. I don't do this. I don't do that. I'm like, dude, then stay home. But don't sit there and bitch about nothing to do. That, that's the farthest. There's more music happening here than's happened ever or since the last 80 years, I would bet. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, it is. Sean, you got all of his rooms. You got different venues. You got concerts. You got, you got, you know, remember when they built the original Mark of the Quiet Cities? Weren't they sort of trying to figure out where to build it and nobody wanted to get involved and now I'm sure every city in the Quad Cities wish they had it. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what a great venue. I mean, it's awesome. So, you know, when people say that kind of stuff, it sort of sticks in your craw a little bit and it hurts. But, I mean, it, there's so much to do here. I just, I don't get it. So, What do you do when you're not working here? Uh, bug the hell out of my kids. <laughs> I mean, I would love, I love going to football games or basketball games. I can't because I work weekends. So, you know, daughter's in Chicago. I wanted to see my daughter, so I had to drive to Peoria to see her the other night because she was on the road. So I drove to Peoria, and, you know, a couple guys said, oh, it's nice you came to see Blake. I said, I didn't come to see Blake. I came to see my daughter. <laughs> and they're like, what? I'm like, I, I've seen Blake. It's, he's great, but I didn't come here to see Blake. I came here to hang out with my daughter and her friends. You know, my, my other son's in uh, Kansas City. I mean, I would love to have a weekend off to go see him. My other son's in Bloomington, Indiana at school. I mean, I got a lot of places I'd like to go. As I'm getting older, I'd like to be warm and in Florida. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's just I can't go. Trying to find help is it's hard. And this is a hard lifestyle. If, if you don't do this and, you know, go from days to nights, like everybody says, well, you, n- you never do anything on Sunday. I'm like, that's my night to switch from nights to days. If I don't get that down and be in bed by a certain time, I'm a mess for a week. I'm just a horrible mess. But getting home at 5 and 6 in the morning is not fun either. Right. I mean, there's times I haven't gotten home till 10 the next day. And, you know, it, it's, it's hard. It's, it, it takes a physical beating on you. And I'm too old to be throwing kegs around and lifting kegs and changing kegs. And, you know, that, that's a young guy's job, not mine anymore. So <laughs> I, I've become a desk jockey and the maintenance man, which I, I enjoy, but I don't. You know, it's like busy days. I'd, I'd rather wash dishes. Nobody bothers the dishwasher. And I'm not saying that I want to be bothered. It's just it's sometimes it's just nice to hide. Nobody goes in the kitchen, so that's what I do. I go wash dishes. My employees think it's hilarious. <laughs> so I've done it before. It's, I'm not. It doesn't. I made all my kids do it. They all started washing dishes. It's easy. Nobody bugs you. Put in your headset and just go. There's an album title. Nobody bothers the dishwasher. <laughs> By who? You, Terry. Oh, <laughs> oh. Okay. title of your biography. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be. Rude. What would your title? What would the title of your biography be? I have no idea. Idiot. <laughs> you know, when I told my parents I was buying a bar, getting out of college, my dad said, "Over my dead body." Uh-huh. And I said, "Dad, I'm gonna name it after mom." And he goes, "Oh, really? You need help?" I'm like, yeah, you want to buy the building and property and give me a good interest rate and let me pay it off over 20 years? He goes, okay. That's how I got in business. Mm-hmm. And he originally said no. And my mom's name is Mary Ellen O'Meara. And when I bought the Glens out and bought their business, I switched. It was an Irish bar that had been there since before Prohibition. I named it after O'Meara's, after my mom. That's how I did it. Any last words? I know we got to wrap up and get things rolling here. Uh, support live music. Don't sit around and bitch about nothing to do. There's, there's great artists in town all the time. There's a dozen venues in the Quad Cities. 
You know, people that bitch about the $5 car, go to a movie, it's $9.50, 10 bucks, and a bag of popcorns. How much? Don't bitch about seeing a band doing three sets for 5 bucks. You know, it's just, go support it. It's the arts. It's part of, everyone listens to music. You can't get through a day without hearing music in your life. Never. Your car, your home, TV, commercial, anything you do has got music in it. Support it. Be part of it. You know, join it. You, you never know who's going to be on that stage that you're going to see on TV in three years. It's it's awesome. You don't like the band? Oh, come and yell at me. I'll go buy you a beer and we'll talk about it. But, <laughs> you know, it's just, it happens. I mean, but you just never know who's going to be the next uh, Jude Cole to come out of here or the next uh, country singer or the next blues singer. You, you don't know. Or the next great guitar player. It's just supporting the arts and supporting it. If you don't support it, it goes away. So you see the arts always asking for help, whether it's public TV or public radio or an art fund. It's part of the arts. Support it. Be a part of it. So that, that's my, you know, there's local charities here that I, I just love and I support them. So I donate money, I donate time, whatever I can. I can't do everybody, but there are two or three that I just love, and when I have extra money, that's who gets my check. So uh, Chad and his whole deal is one of my favorites. What those kids do is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. You know, and to think that kid came out of the Quad Cities, I mean, that, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, another year or so, and I'll be done, and I'll be out of here, so you won't hear me bitching. But I always told you when I was going to sell the place, you'd be the first to know. It's for sale, <laughs> so you can buy it. Okay. So, anyway. Well, I look forward to you know talking to you again, Derry. Next time we do this when we're drinking, that'd be more fun. We should. Yeah, that would probably get a little more loose lip. Yeah, so I, I keep on trying to get Billy Piper on the show. We keep on trying to get our schedules together. I'm like, that we have to sit down and drink. That would me and Billy sitting down and him telling Lynn Allen stories would be hilarious. That would be really interesting. Yeah. So next time, next time you're on the show, we will. We'll sit down and have some beers. So. All right. Very cool. Terry, thank you so much. Cheers, man. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Right. And thank you for listening to QC Uncut, Uncut, Unedited, Uncensored Conversation with local newsmakers. Thank you again to my guest today, Terry Telka, the owner of Ribco, um, Second Avenue down here in the district in Rock Island. I'm Sean Leary. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Hope you have a great day.